You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, Episode 17. Bojena Jankowska, Sustainable Finance Pioneer, Creating an Impact in Fashion. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. There's something inside of us that no matter where you turn, it's there. It drives us and at times it can consume us. It is a fire inside of us and the reason to live. For Bojena Jankowska, that special something has always been the environment. Bojena's 16-year career in sustainable finance has given her a unique approach to building a fashion brand. One that looks deep beneath the surface, questions everything and hugely values partnership. In this podcast, I talk to Bojena about how her lifelong commitment to bringing environmental and social issues to the forefront of conversation has created an award-winning luxury fashion brand. Thank you for having us today. Um, I'm very excited that we finally made this happen. Um, We've been talking for about a year now, I'd say. Um, So, yeah great that it's happening today well thanks very much for the yeah. opportunities uh, it was good to um be able to come on board and yeah. and and talk about yeah, everything really. that i've been doing and the journey i've been on yeah. so thanks yeah thank you um i want to talk you know use this sort of time actually to talk a bit more about the business side of things actually because a lot of the podcasts that um you know i release and um, we talk a lot about the brand and the the style and the ethics and and all that kind of stuff but you know with your background I'd like to focus quite a bit on the business side of it and the investment side and the money and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff because actually a lot of designers that's potentially where they need partners and where they lack but I know that that's strong for your for your business so can you just talk to us a little bit about where you started you know and you know you've had a a long career 25 years is it in sustainability that's Um, right it seems good goodness, 25 years, you wonder where that's gone. So really my passion for the whole area of sustainability started when I had to write an essay um, in school. Um, and um, I we were given complete free reign to decide which topics we wanted to write about. And I've always been interested in nature and animals, etc. And this is the days before the internet actually was, was, um, was about. So all of it meant really writing off and really doing your research, going to libraries, etc. Um, and what really triggered m- my passion for the whole area of sustainability was, at the point, um, there was a lot, lot of talk around rainforest destruction, the Brazilian rainforest destruction, etc. So I wrote an essay about that with lots of inf- information from non-government organisations, etc. And I got an A. And I think that kind of spurred me on and it genuinely was an interesting topic for me anyhow. And so... You know, deciding what to do then at university, um, I thought, well, why not do environmental science? Um, It's a new and evolving field. I know that this is going to be a big part of our future because we're not making the planet any healthier, we're making it worse. So I decided to do a a degree in environmental science, um, follow that up with a master's degree in environmental technology. But what I, that's probably a little bit misleading, the technology aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what is that? What actually, what I was focusing on or specialising on was really business and the environment. So it's analysing and looking and studying at 
how businesses approach sustainability. What were they doing to be more sustainable as a business and why it made business sense for them? I mean, obviously, companies and businesses are there to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does sustainability tie into that? How they can make money out of sustainability, putting it coldly, I suppose. So that's the kind of work I was doing. And then from then on, that led to... Um, finding an opportunity um, in finance. I never thought I would end up in finance. I would end up, thought I would end up working in an environmental consultancy. Um, but um, yeah, the finance thing came in, in, into, into play because one thing that struck me, um, having worked um, in a non-sustainability capacity in the city prior to my, my job, my proper job in the city, I just realised how much money there was sloshing around. Um, and what really struck me is that there's a lot that can be done with that money. Money always seems to talk. Um, and if you can put sustainability and money together, it could be a quite powerful message really powerful to too. get things done, yeah. mm. to get things done and get people thinking about it. So I started doing a little bit more research um, around that. And, and at that time, we even wasn't aware that such a thing as ethical investing, as it was called back then, even existed. Um, the opportunity came up in a firm, Allianz Global Investors, which is where I ended up working for, for 16 years, uh, to be the, the one and only um, ethical analyst for them mm-hmm. um, in the firm. Um, and so I managed to get that job, luckily. And then since then, it just evolved um, year to year as the industry grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually probably grew up with the industry or the industry grew up with me. I don't know which way to look at it. But it was really, really interesting dynamic. When I first started, it was all very basic, just screens-based investing. So you wouldn't invest in tobacco companies. You'd screen them out of your, if you like, portfolio of holdings. You would screen out, um, you know, pornography companies for your church-based organization, etc., etc. So it's quite, quite basic and wasn't that interesting. But then as things evolved and the whole subject of sustainability started to, to, to evolve and be taken up more by businesses, by non-governmental organizations and non-government organisations were developing new strategies to target business Mm -hmm. on sustainability. No more campaigning, naming and shaming as much, but more working in partnership with business. And so businesses started to learn from these Mm non-governmental organisations, given how much knowledge there was in there. And so the discussion evolved, and it started to evolve um, in terms of how they reported, how they talked about it, how they implemented it into their business, and then before you know it, you had various organizations popping up, such as the Global Reporting Initiative, which is all to do about establishing global standards for how companies should report on sustainability issues and how they're performing on sustainability, right through to uh, the um, the uh, PRI, which is the Principles for Responsible Investment. You know, when I started, it was various, a very small group of fund managers together representing several hundred million um, assets in management. Today, that's probably over a trillion mm. assets. So it's grown significantly over a very, very short period of time. And I think the discussions are becoming more sophisticated mm. now um, on sustainability, although I still feel, certainly um, when I left the city back in 2016, there was still quite a lot of, quite a lot of work to be done. And there were still companies doing a lot of greenwashing mm. around, around sustainability. So my job in the city was to try and try and work through that greenwashing and really get to the bottom of what are you actually doing and what impact is it making for your business you know how is, how is that how, how would you actually do that like what would be the methods behind you you know 
saying something is good or bad or sustainable or that you were able to invest in that yeah. particular firm? So the starting point would be trying to really understand. Um, so we would, the way we would look at it, or the way I would look at it, and this is something I've always believed in when I was doing sustainability research, is rather than looking at just broad issues and then trying to, to shoehorn them into a sector, you try and look at, OK, this is a sector. Let's, for example, take the apparel sector, which is the clothing sector. What are the key issues that drive that that industry? The biggest issues are supply chains. If they don't have the right supply chains in place, everything goes wrong. So that is the most material issue for them. Okay, so that's where the biggest material risks would lie. So we would start looking and identifying those materiality-based environmental and social issues. And uh, from there, we would then say, okay, well where are you manufacturing what is your global footprint um what are you manufacturing um how are you dealing with your contractors how far does it go down is it first level tier contractor second level third level um how are you working with local communities um how are you working with your um with your employees and so it's just going and actually talking to the companies reading the sustainability reports um, talking to non-governmental organizations who are also on the ground but seeing it from a different perspective um, we were quite lucky, actually, at Allianz Global Investors. We, we had something, we had a proprietary research resource called Grassroots. And that really enabled us to actually put out our own investigators out mm. onto the field and interview people from every side of the story to get our own, hopefully, independent and perspective. And realistic perspective. Yeah. And we found out some really interesting stories. Just moving away very quickly from the apparel sector, when I first used this grassroots network for uh, companies I was researching, I was researching General Electric, actually. And one of the things I was looking at then was actually um, their supply chains as well. Because uh, they were doing, at that time, there was a lot of production in the, um, the Mexican, in Mexico, in the, in, the, in the economic production zones. And um, I came across a report, quite random report, which said that apparently women who were employed in, in factories that were manufacturing for General Electric they were being screened on the basis of pregnancy and whether they had the period or not, whether they should be employed. Wow. Um, yeah, it was really bizarre. And I thought, oh, goodness, this is, this is really weird. Like you know, this human does... rights. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you kind of thin, sit there and think, yeah, this doesn't sound right. You know, is this real? You can't believe it in this day and age, especially for a company like General Electric. So we sent out our reporters, um, who was Mexican, could speak Mexican. He spoke to the women who were employed. Um, and indeed, you know, they, they actually found out that actually General Electric was, was probably the best employer in that area. But they did um, say that certain employers um, were actually even getting women to check their sanitary towels to see whether they had the period, to see whether they were pregnant or not. Um, and so... That because was really quite shocking. They basically didn't want to risk having pregnant women work exactly, for them because they'd exactly, go off and leave. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then another situation was um, a company called Syngenta, which produces GMO seeds. Um, okay. And they're a Swiss-based company. And again, this is a very random academic report we, we stumbled upon. And it was written by um, an, an Indian-based academic highlighting the issue of child labour in the use of um, um, cotton uh, pollination um, where everything had to be um, pollinated by hand rather than small hands yeah so small <laughs> hands so what they used kids and so these kids were exposed to pesticides and all kinds of nasties in the field 
So again, we sent out the reporter um, to, to India to interview the non-governmental organisations, the charities that were working with these children, um, the local employee, that the local um, employees of the company on the ground there. And um, what we found out is that indeed child labour was definitely an issue. It was very much a cultural issue mm. whereby women certainly were not charge of the household. Um, the men were in charge. The men, unfortunately, were always had either drinking problems or other. And they sent the kid and they what they did is they it was like bonded labour. They contracted mm. the children for periods of time to go and work in these cotton fields so that they can then, you know, get the money. And mm. these kids were just tied into, they couldn't go to school or anything like that. And so when we got that feedback, we approached the company and we said to them, look, this is what we found out through our own, through our own research. Um, what are you going to do about this? And at first they were in complete denial. And they said, oh, well, you know, it's a cultural issue. It's nothing really to do with us. It's far more complicated. Um, it's, it's not us who's employing these people directly. It's, it's the subcontracts. I said, yes, but, you know, you're still employing, you know, these are seats. You're, you're still yeah. selling these yeah. seats. So, so there was an, a moment of denial, but then down the road, what the company, the result of this engagement, what it led to was that they ended up producing a separate report, actually looking at this issue in detail and detailing what they were doing. Mm. They weren't perfect. They still had a lot of work to, to do, but at least they acknowledged the issue mm. and started talking about it and started doing something about it. It was quite interesting because we actually flew to Switzerland where the company's based. And there was a team of me and maybe four other people and then from the Syngenta side, I, I, and, and I'm not exaggerating, probably about 20 people turned up in the room, which goes to show that they were seriously concerned that this be a huge reputational risk mm. for them. So um, that's the kind of work we were involved in. So it's a lot of research, a lot mm. of research, and just digging and digging and digging, which is why perhaps, you know, what I'm doing now with, with, with this business the, way, the reason why I've been able to learn things relatively quickly, there's always a learning curve, is because I just research everything because mm -hmm. that's something I've learned from my previous life in the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that kind of the research side of things takes so long and it costs so much money. So mm -hmm. how, going back to the, the previous business, how would they quantify that and where would they, would they literally put it into you know, a bucket of this has cost us so much mm. and we're going to charge our clients for this, or how does that work? Yeah, there was, there's always always an ongoing uh, discussion uh, etern internally because every client, I think we were saying this before, everybody's got their own definition of sustainability mm. and what they feel is important to them, um, whether you're a church or whether you're just a, a local authority looking to invest your your the, the the pensions for your of, of your or your beneficiaries you have a different perspective um so there were situations and i think that's probably still the case where a lot of people wanted very specific bespoke um research but we found out but we we realized that a lot of these issues there was a lot of a lot of overlap so really what we were doing is there were if there were services that customers wanted that were very bespoke to them then there was a fee associated with that because that did require additional mm. legwork and reporting and and following up on everything else um but generally that's all kind of part and parcel of the research mm. process of investment management it wasn't treated s s such as a separate entity it was mm -hmm. slowly beginning to get accepted as being part and parcel of any fundamental financial analysis mm, because the due diligence yeah. because you're realizing that these are they call them non-financial risks but i think they are financial mm. risks because you know whether it's reputational mm. damage whether it's whatever other issues there may be um um 
you know that they that they it's all bundled together mm. in, into that one research if you like yeah, it's function. necessary yeah it's necessary, yeah so it's, yeah. it's it's i guess viewed as an as an overhead but mm. you know the research component is important because if you don't do the research you really don't know what you're investing mm. in so it's quite important how have you managed to play that now into your own brand then so you said you've researched lots and you know um kind of everything from like the fabrics mm. and you know how has that played in, into the brand yeah that's that's been really really helpful because you know I'm just not afraid to pick up the phone and talk to people and just find find and just find things out and I think that's something that I very much brought over from the city just having the confidence just pick up the just phone just ask the questions and you want to find out and ask the questions yeah. um and you know and I've come across a few textile companies that I've that I've worked with um but don't no longer choose to work with them um because they just weren't able to answer my mm. questions on sustainability. So I've decided not to work for, with them consciously or will not work with them at all in the future for that, for that, for that reason. And for me, it's not enough just to have word, mm. you know, their word. I need a little bit more proof. A bit of evidence, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just things like certifications um, or at least a really coherent answer that, that kind of... That you believe. <laughs> that that, that I, I can believe and, and that they can to an extent back up. Um, and so that's probably the, the, the skill that I've kind of bought. But it's just, you know, the internet's helped a lot. I mean, as I said, when I first started doing any kind of research when I was back in school, it didn't exist. So, and the internet's such a powerful tool that I just mm. use to research and, 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 and social media, there's so many interesting things that you can find on there that I'm constantly finding, whether it's new partners to work with, mm. you know, people who produce peace silk organic silk and get everything done beautifully environmentally certified or got certified so yeah it's 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 that kind of if you know approach that i'm taking mm. is just a lot of googling <laughs> a lot of googling a lot of picking up the phone talking to people a lot of emailing mm. to find out more information um, and just as many face-to-face meetings as possible it takes a long time though doesn't it you know i mean you can't like you've said previously there's there is no perfect output you know mm. there's there's no way there's not really any way to be perfect because there's so many components that, oh, are, that make and, up a brand and and, and even one always, garment and you yeah exactly and you're always always learning i mean i'm i'm learning all the time I mean, given the fact that when i first entered this industry it was completely i i, I entered a, a completely green at the gills you know green i, I guess great didn't really know I had to learn everything from scratch but that was fun of it that that was that was part of the fun I, I guess you could you could say that um but um on on the research on and just kind of learning things as as you as you uh, go along I, I think you need to do that for any business mm. you know I you think need to possibly know and set up the groundwork the foundations for that because once you've set up and identified the people you want to work with the people you trust um and you've done a little bit of work with them you just keep going back mm. um and then they know people that they've worked with and recommend to you. And so that you then start building that network of individuals mm. that you can trust, you, you build a really strong relationship mm. with, um, you know what each other's expectations are, um, you know how far you can push things, um, what is reasonable, what isn't reasonable. Um, and you just reach a common understanding and then you just become partners mm. rather than, you know, just... yeah you know yeah. people working together so and that, that's really important to me yeah I think I think that's kind of well from what I'm feeling particularly within the sort of ethical and mm. sustainable fashion world people really which is contrary to 
traditional fashion, so we say, um, people really help each other out. It's, you know, it's almost like people are in for the common common good, mm. the common goal, you mm. know, and will support people to do that and also understand, for example, like, you know, you, you make on order and, and that's mm. important and then be more flexible mm. about pushing you to get things out on time. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, can you just talk about the stru- the structure of that, why you've decided to make to order and mm. and that kind of... Yeah, it was a really tricky. Um, uh, it, it was a it was a decision that wasn't made easily, um, because for several reasons. One is that I think still consumers are very used to making an order. <laughs> exactly, buy now, see now, making an order, and maybe even having that product delivered to them on the same day mm. if you purchase it quickly enough or early enough. Um, so people are really really used to that. Um, and so I have to, that's kind of a bit of a force I'm working against. But, you know, having really thought it through, um, you know, there's two aspects to it. I'm going to be completely honest. There's the sustainability aspect and there's, there's the business aspect. So the business aspect is I am a small startup brand. And like any small startup brand, you know, you only have limited resources um, and limited funds. Yeah. And so you've got to be very careful what you do and how you spend those funds in order for you to be sustainable into the long term. And... Um, and I just sat and I, and I just thought that, you know, it's my first season. I don't know how it's going to sell. I don't know how people are going to respond to it. Um, it may bomb. It may be a success. I just don't know. And so do I produce a whole bunch of stock, lock up a lot, a bunch of capital mm-hmm. in the stock and then not know what to do with it? And then I can't do all the other stuff I want to do for season two, for season three, for season four. Um, but also, you know you know, this journey, what really struck me is is this whole movement towards slow fashion. It's still a slow movement, <laughs> ironically yep. speaking, and a small movement. And I think there's very small there's only a very small handful of brands um and consumers who really buy into that and are prepared to wait. Um so I think it's a matter of re educating mm. uh, consumers. So the sustainability component is that I don't want to be at the same time making things, purchasing fabrics, purchasing trims, specially made for me to make clothes. I don't know whether I'm going to sell. And then you're using all of these resources pointlessly because you're then just flogging the stuff. And that's not what I want to do. Mm. That's not what I want fashion to be. And there were times, you know, in the past where fashion was really you know, properly slow, where things are really made beautifully Mm. to a beautiful finish, beautiful quality, beautiful fit, using beautiful fabrics, and they were made to order. You know, there weren't, you know, you had proper tailors back then. And so I feel that a lot of the skills are being lost at the same time. So, you know, for me, I guess the the, the challenge is to get people to buy into this made-to-order and not be scared to -to made-to-order. The fact that you're not then, you know, tied to that product you can return it if, mm. if 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 you really if it really doesn't work for you you know it's just one of those things then so it you're my you're problem. fine about the return like, yeah yeah, yeah okay. i mean like i think any, that's probably what people are think worried if, about yeah. oh you know i don't want to go to the bother of having somebody yeah. made to order and then what happens if i don't like it or it doesn't fit and mm. well that's the whole point you know you try and make the product good enough so people don't mm. return it to begin with which is why a lot of work goes into the fabric sourcing and also into the fit of my of my garments which is why you know when I go through every season we go through various several iterations of one design before we get to the final product mm. to make sure we get that fit and um, because obviously who wants to have the products returned you know you're clearly not doing a good job if, if people are returning your product yeah. so 
so so that's the sustainability component just getting people to think a little bit more and just have a little bit more respect for the clothes they have rather mm. than it being disposable and actually your your kind of waiting times aren't mega long anyway no it's not, no no <laughs> it's i mean it's only 10 working days yeah. and that's the, again the benefit <laughs> Ten, the benefit of working with a London-based studio because I mean, I'm there for me, almost that's every week. Quick. <laughs> like ten, two yeah. weeks, you know. Yeah, it's, two weeks, yeah. and We're sometimes it's even less than that, depending yeah. on how busy the studio is with with other yeah. with with other projects. But um, you know, again, this is all because of this partnership that we've got. We understand each other, um, and and they, you know, quite clearly are able to to uh, deliver that. And in the fact that if anything does crop up or they need my thoughts to just quickly text me or if need be I can just easily pop over to this mm. to the studio okay so right across to the other side of London but it's not the same as having to fly somewhere for mm. instance um, I mean it's quite interesting actually that a factory would would allow you to do that mm. in a way because I don't mean visit the factory but mm. to do make to order mm. because you know from having my own stuff made in factories before I know they like they in an ideal world they would like one shape one fabric and to do 200 at once on yeah. one day, you know, and just get everything done because it's, you know, you're tying up people cutting and the pattern cutters and mm. then you've got, every, you know, there's so many stages and if you can just deal with it quickly. Whereas if, you know, you had one of your suits made there, it would be, that takes, that would have one person possibly, I don't know, two days to make that suit maybe Yeah, two, yeah, yeah, probably about two or three days yeah. to, to, to make so in between everything else. Yeah, yeah, so they're kind of like doing that, not on the side from their normal mm. job, but it, mm. it's, you know, it's a lot to manage. But what, um, what I've been told by the studio is that once they know how to make one of my styles, um, then they know how to do it. So it's just a much quicker process. And it's usually the same person making that style because they've made it before. So they mm -hmm. would, it would get allocated uh, to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they make it work, but they make it work somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they also work with a lot of small independent designers who do one-off pieces. So I think... They understand the, they, how it works. I think they yeah. get it, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and they're happy to work on that. I guess, you know, I'll need to rethink things if things really pick up. And I do get, you know you know really big orders and i need to rethink that mm. um but you know sounds like the factory though little. would be probably flexible to do in that anyway yeah, because well, then the yeah. dynamic changes yeah. then you kind yeah. of have more visibility if you've got more orders coming you've got more visibility in terms of what needs to be produced it's much simpler for them to do because they're cutting everything you know at the same time as you were saying so um yes you, yeah. you just fashion like of anything is fashion especially actually is constant problem solving mm. always you're always solving some kind of problem I think, I think actually what you've done coming coming into it from being outside of it you've approached it really methodically and like really well researched and kind of I'm not going to say unemotional because I know you're very emotionally connected to your own business <laughs> you but, get emotional <laughs> exactly but um you know, you've got a very clear way of looking at things. And I think that comes from looking at business first as well as sustainability, mm -hmm. not just I want to make this suit. You know, it, it's it's got to all be right and all fit. Mm -hmm. And that's from research and, and coming out from a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's also having a husband who has been extremely supportive um, and, you know, he comes from a finance background as well. And you know, it's it's somebody to have that additional sounding board because he's absolutely just completely neutral. He doesn't, he's not emotionally involved in, in what mm. I'm doing, which sometimes, you know, it does, you do get a little bit emotionally involved and, and, and everything else. And so he approaches it from a very kind of like fresh mm. perspective. And I said, oh, and I ask him a question and he says, and it gives me a response. I'm like, oh, okay, I haven't thought about it that way. That's another thing. And I think the one thing, other thing I've learned is that in my previous job, 
maybe because I was in it for such a long time, I used to get quite defensive when people gave me feedback and and almost took it personally. With this business, I'm finding that I just can't get enough feedback mm. and I'm never and I'm not taking any of it personally. I had somebody comment on an aspect of one of my um, designs and they said, oh, you know what you could. I, I, I'm not sure about this because of this. Um, in fact, it was just to think about a positioning of a seam. So I thought about it not for too long. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm going to change that pattern because it actually looks better. So taking that kind of mm. feedback on, on board and not being afraid. Just being to, open to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, and it, and it um, frees you from a lot of stuff mm. because you end up being, mm. you know, you just end up just, just getting all of that, provided it's good advice and mm. it makes sense. But it's always helpful. Yeah, you can never, kind of never let keep, go and yeah, open. And, yeah. and don't be close to it. Mm. So that's another thing I've really learned is just yeah. to get as much feedback and listen to those people and don't take it personally if it's not necessarily positive, you know, or not yeah. glowing. How do you, um, going back a little bit to partnering with people, so mm. you've said, you know, the the people that you work with, the factory and so on, um, it becomes a partnership and your network mm. is a partnership. How do you choose the people to work with? So I know that you've um, done some PR and you had your launch event at the chess club and, mm. and kind of all that, and which I went to, which was very nice. Um, <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> um, and, and how do you choose how, who to work with, um, even in terms of like positive luxury? Because I know you're mm-hmm. one of their brands to trust now. So, yeah, just talk us through kind of your PR choices and that kind of yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's... I, I'm a I'm a big believer of um, meeting people and and just having a chat with them and just getting them to know getting them to know me, me getting getting them to know um, them, um, and just and and just really I guess you can intuitively tell whether you click with somebody or not, um, whether it's hard work to talk to them, um, and 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 you just pick up on that mm. and that's another thing I've learned is that you know it's it's a lot of it is also following your gut instinct. And that's that's kind of what I use with, with the people I work, and I find that or I've been partnering with, and I find that um, you know it's not always a hundred percent right, but majority of the time it's 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 right, um, and so it's just it's just meeting and just talking to people and just keep going back and just making sure that if you're going to enter into a partnership, um, you are very clear from both sides what the expectations mm. are, and that's what I try to always do if I can. Um, I think that can be quite hard sometimes because, you know, you just remember when I made my swimwear, I was just so adamant that I wanted this factory because I knew they were the best or Mm. supposed to be the best at Mm. making the swimwear in this country. And I just really, really wanted them Mm. to make it. And I almost lost sight of like what I needed from Mm. them. Mm. Um, So I think you can become a little bit too close to. Yeah. And I've fallen into that myself on previous occasions, Mm. whether it's, you know, wanting a specific type of model when you're doing a lookbook shoot or or whatever that may be, and you just get so mm. obsessed with, I, I, need, I need to have this, I need to have this. Um, but I guess you just, like you say, you have mm. to learn to start, start, mm. stand back and, and just kind of sometimes take a deep breath and say, okay, what's right for my business? Can I see myself working with this with this um, person for a long time? Um, you know, are they going to create headaches for me as, 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 a, as a business? And, you know, sometimes you get that gut feeling, you say, okay, this person seems like the right person to work with. You start working with them and then actually it's not what you thought it is um, because maybe they, they, they were, there was some and there was a misunderstanding somewhere or whatever. Mm. Um, but that's where you have to just keep going back It's all and just saying, okay, well, we're misunderstanding ourselves, each other here, so let's try and 
you know realign again and and try and, and try and work out so sometimes people sell you stuff that is not perhaps mm. what what it actually turns out to be when you really then start working mm. with them but you just have to work through that and just again mm. just say okay where can we what is how the plan we, like a how relationship can we help? how you know? can we make this work <laughs> yeah. what can we do for, with each other for each other and 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 just kind of keep keep going over that i mean there's obviously a limited number of times before you kind of say mm. well how many times am I going to have to ask you? Mm. Um, but it doesn't happen very mm. often. Um, so, um, yeah, so with Positive Luxury, you know, the, 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 the decision with that was really to, you know, try and, you know, build, build that, that reputational brand. You know, the, the, way, the way my understanding was with Positive Luxury is that it was a brand to trust. You know, they had the process that they had to, every brand had to go through to be, onboarded onto the platform absolutely um and you know and clearly they have got a lot of going on if if they don't fulfill the the criteria because Mm -hmm. it's transparency now it's very easy to be outed you know for one reason or another so um it's just finding that and then just working through that and and also what also drew me to positive luxury i guess was 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 the brands the opportunity to work with other like-minded mm. brands and i think positive luxury did the legwork for me with that because that platform was already available um and so working with those like-minded brands to see when there might be opportunities to to work together because um, you're already therefore connected into a network that yeah, they you know right, they bring exactly. their network into you and exactly. the people buying their kind of products would like your products too probably exactly yeah. exactly there's that and there's also um the way I'm I'm seeing it is is you know I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of the founders of well founders of some of the businesses most of them are women-led businesses so it was also quite nice to be able to um if you like um just just kind of quiz each other mm-hmm. about how they found it how are they finding it what are they finding challenges with exchanging notes contacts you know oh somebody might mm-hmm. be able to help you with this so that's quite 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 useful in in that respect um so yes yeah, so that was really the, the yeah. kind of factor yeah there. I think as well you you touch on something there this you know we're becoming a lot more like our own PRs in a sense so I know that last night you did a, a talk yeah. at a women's event the women's chapter um, yeah yes. can you just talk a bit about that and how you how you almost have to self-promote because mm. obviously you've called your brand the same as your name so yeah. that's kind of like that all tied up in that too yeah well th- there was a reason why I called my brand my used my name for the name of my brand um and that was another discussion you know do i do this because it's a complex name (laughs) nobody's going to remember it you know maybe i should do something totally different um but somebody made a really good point to me actually it was my husband he says look you've got 16 years of sustainability experience in the city and this is what you're known for or were known for in the city um so you're just completely just going to swipe that away in Mm. one go by not using that with the label so by using your name you're actually bringing that sustainability to be all yeah, part of gravitas it. Yeah, to, yeah. to 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 your mm-hmm. label so i thought yeah you know i i can see what you mean by that um and then the women's chapter i mean that was really things that that would that you know i'm quite recent um member of the the women's chapter um and what i've noticed is that there's a phenomenal number of women's work works networks um cropping up mm, um, definitely yeah. especially just fairly re- recently um, which is great to see, you know, it's like women coming uh, together and, and, and just trying to work out together what what they can be doing more for themselves and for each other to 
to have that network support network to mm. say look I'm not alone whether you're having struggling in with with your career and promotion and equal pay and whatever it is you're not alone there's a whole bunch of other people out there and hey you can talk about mm. it and just get some advice so that's one of the reasons why I joined the women's chapter because I was genuinely interested in that in in that topic as well having worked in the city myself um Plus, also the women's chapter is very much also. There's a, I, if, I, if my understanding is correct, it's, it's, it's quite a big weighting towards um, like entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs, <clears throat> and I met a lot of them yesterday um, at this event. It was amazing to see actually, and it's just the vibe in the room was fantastic. Um, and you're right, you know, when it comes to, I think whether it's a business with your own name or any other business when you're starting out, you have to be there because you are, you know, you are the brand behind behind mm. that name. You give that that brand personality um so you have to be out there and just talking to people and mm. explaining to people i mean my story is not a straightforward story i'm i'm not a story that people have never heard of so there needs a little bit there needs to be mm. a little bit of explaining to be done behind what's behind my label what it's all about what's the ethos etc etc um but you know once people get it go oh that's fantastic it's really great they love the fact that things are made in london mm. um, they love the fact that certain percentage of uh, sales from every purchase go to a non-governmental organization and they really really like that that concept um and it's just talking to all these other women who you know just and just just basically just finding out what are they fi- what are they finding challenging what are they finding mm. easy because running your own business that nobody tells you about is just really lonely. Mm. It really can be lonely, and I'm sure you yeah when you well when yourself. you're sat on a room day in day out on your own exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and you just and, and nobody and there are instances where people don't reply to your emails yeah. and and then you follow up again and still no response and you go what's wrong am I doing something wrong so you have you have moments mm. of self doubt you have moments what what somebody called it yesterday the bathroom floor moment. <laughs> which I've had plenty of um, um but yeah it was a really good talk and a really good way to to um, meet women and just get feedback for mm. the collection more than anything so it's a multitude of different things that you know resulted in that and and I love to be able to talk about my brand and I love to be able to get people engaged in sustainability through fashion so for me it's 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 a bit of a kind of um of a of a you know, fix if you like, mm. um, because I just really am passionate about, about it and want people to understand that sustainability and fashion can work together. Do it yeah. Well, yeah. exactly. So yeah, so that that yeah. was so it was a good event, great vibe. Although maybe one or two men there, not that it changed the, the, the vibe. But <laughs> and yeah, <we're> loud in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, I think what's exciting as well about about your brand is that you obviously know your customer pretty well they're basically people like you Mm. and kind of have worked in the city perhaps and do like fashion but also they're intelligent women Mm. Mm. um and possibly a lot of them are founders of businesses Mm. um so therefore you know when you're starting to think about things you know you think well what would they be interested in what holidays would they go Mm. on would they go to queue and that's probably i mean why partially you've gone into like bees and Mm. and you know why why the connection with the bees and yeah. and is you I know you're going to stick with that for your second collection That's so right. yeah so you know when when I started this label um one thing that that I well there's there's a story behind this actually as to why it started with bees so as, as I was thinking about okay so I want to do I, I want to do something in fashion what do I do do I start my own label um how do I make that label mine how do I make it distinctive to me um and so 
you know, I thought, right, I really want to use fashion to talk about sustainability issues. And w one morning I was just in bed scrolling through Facebook, as you do. Um, and one of my friends posted a, um, like a, I don't know, like a, like a poster of a, of a, a dead bee, sadly, with the slogan saying only, you know, 98% of Facebookers will not respond to this or not react to this, to, to this. Um, it really was all about highlighting the plight of the bees, the fact that they're now they're dying out, etc., etc. And I thought, oh my god, that should be that's because I totally get that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, that's it. I totally get it. Um, and I was reading things about bees anyway before when I was in the city about the fact that there were reports written about the import economic importance of bees, um, etc., etc. So it was it was something that was already kind of in the back of my mind. And so I thought, well, let's let's focus on bees. Um, so I started researching the, the topic, I read lots of books about about the importance of bees and what's the discussion at, at the moment about them. And I thought, oh my God, that's interesting. And then I just dived into the world of bees and just started thinking about, you know, how that might work. And, and then the whole idea came, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to be just a label talking about sustainability. What is the impact I can make with, with my label beyond just using sustainable fabrics wherever I can or whatever. So this whole idea came to partner with non-governmental organisations. I guess it's not new for a lot of labels. I think more and more labels are mm. doing that and partnering. But I just wanted to give something back. And, and, you know, I'm still exploring ways how I could be working more of these non-governmental organisations to bring more experiences to my, to my customers. So that's, you know, something I'm, I'm kind of giving a little bit more thought to. Um, so, yes, it was all about bees. And then, and then you know, the other questions, you know, I don't want this to be just like a transient thing, you know, one thing and then move on to another, and you know, just to keep things interesting. I just think, well, again, it's going back to the whole partnerships. You know, I want to have at least one year, full year partnership with, with this non-governmental organisation, Buglard, that I've partnered with um, so that they can really fully benefit from the proceeds from the collection and, and the sales rather than just six months. Um, and make it a proper topic that I can really talk mm. about for a long period of time. Again, just rekindled where, where I started all those years back when I was writing that essay, mm. my passion for the whole area of sustainability and how bees are just such incredible creatures that totally we just take for granted. Mm. Um, everything, I mean, one third of food is as a result of bees. Imagine how interesting our plates would be. Without, what would we do yeah. about avocados? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all die and shrivel up. Or almonds, or yeah. almond milk, you know. Oh, my God, it would be uproar. So, and it's all because of bees. Mm. Um, so, you know, these are little things that need to be protected. And I think, in my mind, actually, they're a bit of an acid test of how we treat the environment. Mm. And it's, I mean, what you cleverly do is connect everything back. So it's kind of like you, you know, you use your platforms and your speaking events and your Instagram mm -hmm. as a way of um, educating and kind of yeah. connecting back. Um, which yeah, I and, I, and, and you know, I feel probably I need to be doing more of that. Mm. But then, then, then it becomes a very fine balance of do I ram this stuff down people's mm. throats or I need to find um, beautiful ways and engaging ways of yeah. talking about the whole plight of the bee. Because I could be sticking a whole bunch of dead bee images on my Instagram account or <clears throat> or whatever it may be, mm. but that's not going to engage people. No, I think um, I think that's really important. And so you actually. have to strike that balance. So it's it's and that's something I'm constantly testing, evolving, mm. etc., etc. And eventually, hopefully, that you know I work out a formula that works that gets mm. people engaged. On, on I mean, no topics. no one likes being told off or shamed. No, basically. of course not. They like no. being you know people buy things because they want to feel nice Absolutely. and good and feel like they. You know. Yeah, and they buy fashion because they want to feel good. Yeah, you know, exactly. they, they want to, They've got an event to go to. They want to look fabulous. Yeah. And I, of course, I'm exactly the same. Um, 
So, you know, you just want to be able to have people to think, you know what, I'm buying this dress, I'm going to look fabulous, but I'm doing a little bit for bees. Mm. As to whether they think like that, probably not, the majority no, of I'm cases. Sure um, but, yeah, it's just trying to amplify that message, and that's something I'm, I'm, I'm still um, evolving, if mm. you like. So, um, yeah, and I'm always, again, looking for ways where I can do that and just maybe even look at how other people are communicating mm. really well with their messages and saying, okay, well, what can I learn from that? Mm. So, Bregenna, what's next for your brand? I've made a huge effort to try and source fabrics that are sustainable. And I'm now starting to think that, so for instance, I'm now, uh, I've managed to source a fabric which is using recycled wool for one of the products. Um, I was hoping to use sustainable viscose, which is FSC certified, but that's proven to be prohibitively expensive. And it, and like I've found out with a lot of sustainable fabrics, um, they required a huge minimum volumes and I just don't have that capacity at the moment. So I had to rethink. So again, another problem that need, needed mm. to be solved. So what I've done is reused some fabrics from collection one into collection two. So you're going to see mm -hmm. some similar fabrics. Why waste? Mm -hmm. But they've been produced, um, but into different uh, designs. Um, and also what I've started doing more of and plan to do more of is use dead stock fabrics, um, which otherwise, yes. you know, yeah, it makes uh, sense. Uh, and also, it's a really nice thing because you know that if you've got X amount of meters left, you can only make X amount mm. of products. They're very limited edition. So no danger of anybody else mm. wearing that You know, if you're going to an event because there won't be many of them. Yeah. Um, so really exploring all those um, opportunities. I'm quite excited, actually, because another one I'm... There's, there's a, a producer because um, I plan to always dip a, my original print for every collection. So I already designed my print and... I really want to be able to, to use um, organic silk if I can help it. And I've had people asking me, you know, do you use vegan mm. silk? Mm. So I classify vegan silk um, as peace silk. So mm -hmm. the worms or the little... The wor yeah, worm, the, killed, the, they yeah, don't get killed, they don't get mm -hmm. boiled alive, which is really not, not, not a nice thought. Um, but um, so trying to find a manufacturer, I found one in, in India. You can also do great, got certified digital printing. So we're doing some testing now. So if this works out... I'll be super excited yeah, because cause... then I can incorporate that. And that's yet another partnership I can have. And there's a great story around this company because they are come from a quite deprived, deprived part of India. They employ local community, train people up, use really old looms. So the silk, rather than being 140 centimetres wide, is only 114 centimetres wide. Um, so it's just really, really, really nice mm -hmm. story. And hopefully one day I'm fortunate enough to be able to go and see it all myself yeah. and meet these people. Um you know, that's something yeah. I'd love to be able to yeah. do and just see it all for myself. Um, so, yes, it's quite exciting in terms of se um, season season two um, uh, because of the kind of fabrics that I've been trying trying to kind of incorporate. Mm. And as I, as I say in my mission statement, I'm not perfect. I don't think any company is perfect. It's a comp process of evolution. And every season I'm going to try and co incorporate a, a, another sustainable mm. you know or low environmental impact fabric into my collection so hopefully i've managed to do that this time around yeah just little by little isn't yeah it? incrementally step step. and you know as you grow then your impact can exactly. grow as well exactly yeah. that exactly yeah. that lovely is there anything you'd like to add no except no? thank you very much for this Aww, opportunity it's been i really enjoyed yeah talking i'm really about excited this. that we managed to make yeah. it happen yeah so thank you very much thank and thank you, you very much to all the listeners <laughs> As a pioneer in the sustainable finance industry, Bregenna honed skills that enabled her to approach the fashion industry with rigour and clarity.
Every element of her brand is carefully considered and made as streamlined as possible, which makes perfect sense for the environment and for business. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com. Thank you.